questions here, and there's a mic there as well. If you, anyone wants to ask questions, or if you've got a loud voice, you can just uh, say from from where you are as well. Um, because some people have taken the effort to write, I might just go through some of these very quickly. But um, if you have a follow-up question from one of these uh, ones, then just stick up your hand and we'll see how we go. Uh, I have said to uh, Andrew that if I can't answer anything, I can phone a friend. All right? Okay. Uh, just to clarify, how did you get the point of us being the inheritance from Ephesians chapter 1? Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1 and verse um, 14, if you look at the footnote in most Bibles, uh, it, sh- it could read instead, and I think it's better to read, uh, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, or alternatively could read, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possession. And so the idea is that um, we are the inheritance of God. We are the possession of God, and uh, he guarantees us until the end day when we will actually uh, be his his great prize at the uh, return of Jesus. I think it's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, something like that. Uh, somewhere in Deuteronomy, the same idea of inheritance is there. That it's not only that um, they're going to the promised land as the inheritance, but Israel themselves is God's inheritance. Uh, what happens when disunity is caused, when the truth of the word is upheld? Oh, that's a good question. That is, in chapter 4, which speaks a lot about unity and maintaining the unity, uh, it's the unity of the truth. We don't believe in unity at all costs. We believe in unity based on the truth. And so sometimes when you hold on to the truth of the word of God, it creates disunity. Now, we are um, at one level happy with that, Because if people choose to disagree with the gospel message, we want to say, well, I want to respect your view, but I want to say that the Bible is right and your view, if it's contrary, uh, is wrong. And having that category of right and wrong is very important. And so we must not try to um, always have unity, always have harmony uh, at the expense of truth. So that's a good question. What happens when disunity is caused? Uh, what happens then is you either learn to live with each other, right, which is real tolerance, um, but still uh, stay that there is right and wrong. We must not move tolerance into relativism. Right? Relativism is where you know I say X and you say Y, X and Y are completely uh, different, and we say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Jesus uh, rose from the dead for me. Jesus did not rise from the dead for you. That's okay. Both is true. Uh, that's actually just just nonsense. So we can either sit uh, together and still you know function as a community, but say that we disagree. Uh, hopefully, what will happen is 
as we seek to convince people of the truth of the gospel, they would um, listen to the gospel and the and the spirit of God by His uh, His word will convince and change their hearts, such that they will uh, come and change their mind, and so come to real unity by their trust in the gospel. Uh, Christianity is about persuasion. Uh, we don't try to coerce people into believing. That's one of the differences between Christianity and uh, some other religion that's very nearby. Okay, two non-Christians get married. It says two, bracket two, just two, okay? And years later, he became a staunch Christian. He tried to... I thought I had band writing. Where's the pharmacist? Where's the pharmacist? Years later, he became a staunch Christian. He tried to... Oh, two non-Christians got married, right? Yeah, and two then one... non, yeah, two yeah. non-Christians. He tried to... Yeah, me. <laughs> come forward, come forward. <laughs> I was going to say, it must be a doctor who wrote this, right? <laughs> hey, I should better read this. <laughs> now I can only write it. He tried to... Institute. Institute Christian Way. Uh, Institute Christian Ways to Live in Home. Life. In. I know, okay, idea. Yeah. You give it to the author and no, you no, can read it. I know, that's why I said, I said, please come forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Okay, good, good. <laughs> I think the passage is uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, where the idea is that there are two non-Christians, they are already married, and I think then one becomes a Christian. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 7 is that the Christian is to, as much as possible, seek to still live within the marriage and not to initiate a separation or divorce. However, as a Christian, uh, he needs to uh, seek to live the Christian way, and especially as the head of the household, he, um, you know, you know, if we used to cheat on our tax forms, we're not going to cheat on our tax anymore. Uh, tries to institute uh, Christian ways of living. But part of that is also him seeking to love his wife. And um, if in trying to promote Christianity, he's doing it in a, a sensitive, loving way, and the wife still would have none of it, um, then... He's still not to divorce her, but if she cannot stand his Christianity and she wants to leave, then the Christian uh, needs to 
be、um, free to let her leave. So the Christian is not to institute the separation, but if the non-Christian wants to take the initiative, then、um, you know you don't know whether in the future you can you, you can never win them back, ever convert her. You, there's no guarantee of that, and so if she wants to divorce, then、um, uh, you need to let her. But I don't think he should know. In an unreasonable way, demand things of her. You know, we've got to do you know family devotion, and you know if she's a Buddhist, you can't really expect her to do that. You got to give her some some freedom within that.、Um, yeah, I think that that's、uh, that's the way forward on that one.、Um, it's interesting. Yes. So can he then? So if she leaves him and then divorce. Remarry.、Uh, Christians differ on this, so I want to say that first and foremost. The issue of remarriage is a very complicated thing.、Uh, my personal view is that there are two grounds on which you can、uh, divorce and also rightly remarry.、Uh, one is where the you are the innocent party and the other party commits adultery. Um, at one level, we should we should still, if possible, seek reconciliation.、Uh, God is the God who, in the Old Testament, in、um, what book is that? The one, the one about God、uh, forgiving the、uh, wayward wife. Has he? Has he? Of course, I'm tired.、Um, so God is willing to forgive, right? And so、um, we should be willing to forgive.、Um, we don't have to. We don't have to. I don't think.、Uh, but especially if the innocent party has has wanted to forgive, and the other person still wants out, then I think there is a.、Um, it's, it's not their fault. Uh, that they it's ended in divorce, and so I think that person is free to remarry. Similarly, I think in this case,、um, if he's done everything reasonable to try to keep the relationship together, but the non-Christian party still wants out,、uh, then I think、um, uh, yeah, he he can remarry. It's complicated. It's messy. Relationships are not as you know mechanical and clear cut like that. It's often multifactorial, and yeah. And so you've got to take partly case by case and talk to the people.、Um, yeah, but I think I think if if it's it's okay if it's okay to divorce, I think it's okay to then remarry. But Christians differ on that, and the safe. The really safe option is to say、um, no remarriage after divorce, irrespective of whatever reason it's there.、Uh, that's the sort of more conservative、uh, view. Any other questions on divorce? <laughs> yes, Nora, you're thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Robert didn't even get it. That's all right. Actually, in reality, I 
Yeah, and I think um, you could take it case by case. Sorry, I made a joke. It's not a it's not a thing to be joking about. It's you know it's serious and and um, yes, and it's good in some sense that the Christians want to keep the relationship. Um, but obviously, you can't you know do one of the other options and then uh, compromise your Christianity as a result. Okay, moving on. Um, is it becoming normal to have friends who are LGBT? As Christians, these are se- sexual sins. Though we may point out to a fellow friend what is that, that pornography is wrong, we cannot point out LGBT nowadays are wrong. How do we show them a Christian love yet able to point out the mistakes in their ways? Uh, people still acknowledge uh, pornography is sin is wrong, but we <laughs> I think that's the drift, right? Uh, I think we need to still point out LGBT uh, is wrong. I think uh, Christians um, have written a lot about it. Um, there's a book uh, put out by some of our friends in Australia called What We Once Were. No, We Once Were? Yeah, What We Once Were, which is very helpful. But then there's a whole lot of other books now coming out of Christians in America which uh, deal with the science, deal with the politics, deal with the history. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very, in some sense, very easy from the Bible uh, to show that LGBT is... Uh, it's not the right way to go. Um, homosexuality is not just in the Old Testament. It's there in Romans chapter 1. Um, uh, you can argue scientifically uh, if homosexuality is right, then it's a sexual dead end. Right? That is, you know, you, if evolution is right, if it's right, then there's no way, you know, this is going to work out in the long run because you can't in the end reproduce. But nowadays people say, well, scientifically we can have all these test tube babies and everything. Um, I think um, in, the, in, in the short, medium run, people will um, it will affect society. Uh, the way you argue it in public, you need to be a bit savvy politically. And so... Uh, it's one of my friends in Hong Kong. He's in a, a big church, and he's worked out that to say, hey, Christians, we believe the Bible, this is wrong. You say that in the public space, and you don't get too far. Because they say, of course you think it's wrong. You're a Christian. And then you become the one voice. right? Every Christian, there may be ten Christians who says it, but you say because you're a Christian, then you're lumped together as this one voice. But if all of us as Christians, we say, well, well, I represent the teachers, I represent the high school teachers, the primary school teachers, and this is why we think it's wrong. Uh, I represent the 
the the mothers. You know, you just all the different groups in society. If you, they're Christians among you, and you 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 um, voice it on behalf of the people you you represent, then you get a lot more voices and uh, a bit more political clout uh, to get to be heard. Um, yeah, so there's different ways of, of dealing with it and, and promoting it. I think theologically we can argue uh, as a Singapore citizen that it's a wrong thing because in the end it's not going to be good for Singapore, is it? Right? And so you don't have to argue as a Christian. You can argue even as a, as a citizen it's a wrong thing. Now, theologically, there's a connection because what is true of, uh, of God and the Bible because God created the world and the way we live in God's world is the wise way, then God's way is also the best way for non-Christians to live. Right? And so uh, there's grounds to, uh, to push on, on that front. Um, so we've got to keep loving and caring for the people um, and yet at the same time point out uh, that their way of living is wrong. We mustn't make it the worst sin ever. And so 1 Corinthians 6 listed as a, one of the many sins. Uh, we must keep say, seeing that the real need that non-Christians have uh, is not to be converted from homosexuality. The real need they, they need is to get right with God. And so we must not become moralistic uh, and so miss out on the gospel. Uh, what is really worrying is when Christian churches then say it's okay. And so at that point are really, um, I think, giving up on uh, some clear truths about living for the Lord Jesus. You're going to... I'm sure we can hear you from down there. This is just since uh, Martin set it up. (laughs) If no one uses it, he'll be a bit sad. (laughs) Okay, so, um, so if it's true that homosexuality is not the worst sin, and if it's true that we are not getting them just to convert out of homosexuality to straight, then would there be some wisdom? Um, because the question uh, was about how do I counsel a friend? Not so much, you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. your voice okay. in society. So would there be some wisdom in not making even the person's sexual orientation the issue? But, you know, just be plain and straight about his rebellion. In, in all ways yeah. against God. Yeah, so you, and not, assuming a, as a non-Christian friend, you might want to teach them and explain to them the gospel. But uh, I think it's still worthwhile somewhere along the line to say that, Lord, if you do become a Christian, this is one thing you need to repent of. Um, now, one of the good things about the book, uh, What You Once Were, is that it gives quite a few testimonies of uh, people who uh, have that kind of orientation and yet have decided and not to follow it in their practice. And so, you know, people can um, be reorientated a little bit and people can stay faithful and uh, not be sexually active, even though they are still attracted to the members of the same sex. Uh, don't put, there's no such thing as a gay gene, right? That's a political manoeuvre by the, the, the lobby, the gay lobby. And... Uh, you got to help also see that just because you, even if you, even if you, you are naturally that way, doesn't mean just because it's natural, therefore you should follow it. Right? The rest of us are naturally uh, attracted to the members of the opposite sex, 
Well, that doesn't mean that we can then have sexual relationship with anybody of the opposite sex. Right? Just because you naturally attract it one way doesn't make it right. right. There is still God's creation of sexual relationship within marriage, uh, which we need to um, hold on to. Most, most of them has got to do with the way they were brought up um, when they were young, and it's got to do with uh, difficult relationships often with the father. And so it's not a biological thing, but rather a sociological upbringing and um, it's a hard thing, especially you know someone is Christian and, uh, and struggling with it. And in the crowd this big, there may be some people like that. Uh, can I suggest you um, you talk to a trusted Christian brother or Christian sister or Pastor Andrew or Cheryl about it? Um, and it's something that that it, it's hard to you know. It's easy to be embarrassed about, but there is help and. Uh, it is something that people as Christians committed to Christ can overcome. Oh, another one. If LGBT is wrong, why was it created in the first place? Yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is that um, it is not part of our human, I don't think it's a genetic thing, Um and even if it was, it would be because of the fall of mankind. Right? It would be after Genesis chapter 3. If it is the desire of the person itself, or is it, natural cons- is it the desire of the person itself or a natural consequence? If it is natural, then why is it wrong? Yep. So I think I've answered that. Uh, it's actually, according to Romans chapter 1, unnatural. Uh, in that way, it is a bit more... Slightly different category to other sins, right? There's a certain unnaturalness uh, to it, um, but not in a different category in terms of getting in or out of uh, heaven. Um, we have friends sometimes who uh, I would use the word were Christians, um, and they are all, but they are also um, well the LGBTs. Uh, and the thing is that we mix with them as friends and things like that. But the thing is that what the, the context of the thing is that it's when you approach someone and you say that hey, you know, you should not be involved in pornography and things like that. Very naturally, they will, these people will not come back to you and say that, oh, you know, you are wrong. And they won't. Very likely, in fact, they will say that. I we agree with you. Yeah, we suffer. Yeah. All right. And they, they need help. But when you approach the LGBTs, that doesn't happen. In fact, very likely you lose a friendship. They will actually turn against you. So the question here is, what should we do? Should we just like ignore, okay, you are friends, you know, you are who you are, and then, or, and so okay. these are people who were friends and also uh, Christian friends from before, is it? We use the word were. Yeah. Go to church, so. um, it depends on your relationship with them. Uh, see, if we're really friends with someone, we want to care for them, and the best care we can give to them uh, is to, one, help them realize the gospel, help them see that we um, still uh, are happy to treat them as friends and love them as friends, 
But I think if they claim to be Christian and claim to be homosexual and active, then there's a certain contradict, there's a contradiction there. And I think at that point, uh, we need to help them see that, look, you actually cannot uh, claim to be Christian and actively homosexual and you know, the two don't sit together. Um, if they then say, look, we, you know, they're drifted away from church and they're not, you know, really trying to be Christian at all now. How do you relate to them? Well, I would, at one level, you know, try to keep up the friendship. Um, and, but it, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when, um, when you know there's something they stand for that, that's quite, quite different. Now, we have, you now lots of non-Christian friends who, who live for money and, you know, we're still friends with them. And so there's a, a level at which, um, uh, we need to treat these people as any other people who are rejecting God um, and seek to love them and care for them. Uh, but at the level of um, you know, trying to bring them back to Christianity, uh, I think that aspect is something that you want to deal with. Just as people who you know live for money will say, well, look, you can't live for money anymore, you've got to live for Jesus. Okay, moving on. Uh, how do we know that the saints refers to first century Jewish Christians, not all Christians? Um, uh, because I think the, the, I didn't come up with this idea. Um, there's a few people, uh, in the 1960s who did. And I think, uh, it's becoming more and more people who see that this is the best way to, uh, read, uh, the phrase the saints in the book of Ephesians and Colossians especially. Uh, I think the, Best justification is chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse 19. Um, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. It just fits in with the flow of the logic a lot better, given that we were those who uh, were aliens and strangers in verse 12, because we are those who are uh, Gentiles and outside. And so to, to say that the Jews are in, and now to say that, hey, you are also in with them, uh, just makes a lot better flow to, to the argument. And so, yeah, it's not a do or die thing, right? Um, but, uh, that's, that's my argument. Um, another question. If our only calling is to be part of the elect and to build up the body of Christ, how do we figure out what kind of job is suitable for us? Um, I think it's got to do with using our mind that God has given us. Um, God has given us a mind to think through things. Uh, it's got to do with partly listening to and getting advice of family and friends. Um, what job should you take? Well, there are certain things that are wrong jobs, Right, and so had a friend who was uh, got a great job into uh, design software, and then found out it was a pornography company. So he thought maybe he shouldn't do it. Had a friend who was very good at mathematics, and was asked to uh, do some stuff with uh, machines, and then found out that he was going to do uh, slot machines. Right, and so he decided he didn't want to do that. Right, so there's certain jobs which you can say it was actually wrong. Um, there's other jobs which are very neutral. Most jobs are neutral. Most jobs will do good for humanity in some way or other. 
There are some jobs which is a little bit, you know, you know, working for a cigarette company, mm, you know. Um, so some, some some things you think, well, you know, I'm sure you know you can do other things that can help mankind a bit better. Our problem is we have too much choice because we are too rich in the situation that we live in. When you're living, say, in the depression, right, you get whatever job you can that will feed your family. And so, you know, just work, whatever you, whatever you find work. Uh, our problem is we, we, are, we are too too much opportunity, but given that we are in a situation of too much opportunity, we're still going to make a decision. Um, your interests, yeah, if you're interested in something, why not? Um, what you may be good at, you know, why not? You know, if you can't add two plus two, and then you want to do electrical engineering or mechanical engineering, that's a little bit silly. Yeah, you know, if you can't spell and you want to be, you know, a, a literary writer, then that's a bit silly. Uh, and if I decided to uh, teach music, that would be very silly because I'm not musical at all. Um, yeah, so there's a certain being being sensible. Uh, the the other choice sometimes has got to do with uh, how long does it take to get trained? How much does it cost to get trained? Um, I think that particularly affects women, right? Because um, to be trained in something which then um, takes a long time and then you might have to work a long time and be bonded or something, then that, that happens to some of our friends uh, in, in Australia. So I know a Malaysian girl who uh, worked for... Uh, trained as a doctor with the Malaysian government and was bonded for 10 years in the Malaysian government. And she, you know, by the end of her studies, had a boyfriend, wanted to get married. And so, um, you know, if she gets married, then, you know, if she has children, then who looks after the children? Or you know, lots of complications like that. Um, so that's another factor into it. Yeah, so lots of factors. You can make your decisions in life. You do not need, I don't think, a special stamp of approval from God to assure you that this is the right way forward. Um, a lot of people want to pray about peace. You know, and they say, well, dear God, you know, is it engineering, engineering, no peace. Uh, you know, is it something else? You know, you feel peace. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the peace of God there guards us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't guide us. Right? There's a different spelling between guard and guide, right? Usually when we make a decision, we feel more peaceful, right? But that, that passage is not about guidance uh, as such at all. And we've got to be careful of guidance passages in the Old Testament, uh, which is in a special time, special people, and we mustn't necessarily expect guidance uh, specifically like that um, for, for our decisions now. Basically, I think we make it too big an issue, um, whereas for God it's just a little issue. What is far more important is whether you do this or that job that you are godly as you do it. That's far more important for God. So sometimes we make the little things the big things and we make the big things inconsequential. You know, so I choose the right, right course and then I cheat in the exams. Oh, that doesn't matter. 
right? We've got to get, get uh, the agenda right uh, from God. Any other questions you want to follow up in terms of decision-making, jobs, work? No? Good. Uh, since family life affects church life, how should the church respond to leaders, male, who have families and children, whose children may not be the best behaved or who fall away from the faith? Should their ability to serve as leaders, especially teaching preaching roles, be reevaluated? Excuse me. Should their children's behaviour be a measure yardstick of their suitable ability to do ministry? Uh, I think the key passages is one Timothy chapter three, right, where um, the leader has to not only have a f- have one wife. Uh, in other words, I think being faithful in marriage, but also uh, he has to keep his children under control. Is that right? 1 Timothy 3. Manage his household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. Uh, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right. So that's the idea. You know, as your small family uh, is a little tryout for the big, big family of church. I think it's about children, right? That is, uh, I don't think it applies to adult children. Uh, when people become adults, they make their own decisions. Hopefully all that you have loved them, cared for them, read the Bible with them, uh, will have some effect, but there's still no guarantee that our children even though we are very godly and done the best we can to raise them up as Christians, there's no guarantee that as adults they will necessarily follow the faith. But if they are, you know, five years old or ten years old, and they say, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, a Buddhist, you know, <laughs> um, or they, 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 you know, they don't listen to your dis- discipline, they don't listen to you and they are completely out of control, uh, then in that stage of life you should have some control and authority over them. And so if you cannot control them, uh, then how can you lead the wider community and church? The other passage is Titus chapter 1, where again, uh, it's not so much their behaviour, but whether they are Christians uh, come into play. And in Titus 1 and verse... Six, if anyone is a brave reproach, uh, let him be an elder, the husband of one wife, and that his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Uh, again, I think it's about um, minor dependent children, that they should be believers um, yeah, rather than that they are adult children. Does that help? Can you come back on that one? Good. From Ephesians 4, verse 5, what does one baptism refer to? Is it one physical baptism, one spiritual baptism into Christ, or one baptism of the Spirit in conversion? I like to say that the one baptism is the spiritual baptism uh, into Christ. And um, what it's saying is the 
Jew, the Samaritan, and the Gentile have all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, only the Jews get the day of Pentecost, right? Get, get the speaking of tongues and all that. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans get it. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the pagan, gets it. And the point of all that is, according to chapter 11 and verse 15, that the Gentiles have uh, now received the Spirit in the same way that the Jews did at the beginning. In other words, uh, all that speaking in tongues and all that uh, is to show at that time that the Gentiles are in. There's the Jewish Pentecost, the Samaritan Pentecost, and the Gentile Pentecost. And all that is to indicate that they are in on the same basis. They are all uh, the one class of Christian. They're not two classes of Christians. And so I think the one baptism uh, is, is, is the way, same way of saying that um, chapter 2, verse 18, we have the access to the Father through the one spirit. It's the one spirit um, experience. Now, even by the time you get to 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, not all Christians speak in tongues. Right? But uh, at that time, as Acts is unfolding, then it's very important to make sure we include uh, the Gentile and the Samaritans as the same thing. Would you advocate women to stop working after they start a family if the advocate is strong Will this discourage people to get married or, if married, to start a family? A very, very good question and very controversial question and the kind of questions that will get me uh, into trouble in most places. <laughs> I live in a country where part-time work is a real possibility for most uh, occupation. And so I speak from a standpoint of some kind of luxury where you can get part-time work. I know in Singapore it's harder to get part-time work, and so as a mother of especially young children, um, often the, there's no part-time option, especially in, in people's line of work. And so you've got to make the decision, uh, do you then stop work completely and look after children. I would suggest that Titus chapter 2, to be busy at home, does advocate uh, the concentration on the family as the main role uh, for mothers. God created men and women different. He created Adam to work the ground. He created Eve in order to be his helper. Uh, when they were judged, God judged Adam in terms of the ground. Right now he's got thorns and thistles uh, grow up when he works. But the woman is judged in terms of the sphere of life for which she was created. She was created for him. And so the judgment is uh, you will um, have this battle, right, of the sexes between you and, and the husband. And basically he will somehow win out because he's bigger and stronger. But also, uh, she is judged in terms of childbirth. Right? That is, um, not only is it, I don't think, only pain in, in childbirth, at, at labour, but I think it involves the whole rearing of the children. 
that is she's especially created in terms of relating to the husband and in looking after the family. And I think that's how she's the helper to him uh, in ruling the world. Um, so I think men and women are created different, and so uh, we we must not expect men and women to be uh, doing exactly the same thing. Um, it's 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 hard depending on on circumstances. Uh, there are times when the wife has to work for the sake of the family. And so I heard a story where um, you know, there's a drought in Australia and the farmer, he couldn't find work and only the wife could find work. And so for the sake of the family and keeping them alive, she went out and did full-time work. Now, that's still in terms of the family and looking after the family. You know, It's not her... Uh, trying to chase herself, chase her career, all that kind of thing. I think in the end, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, um, whatever um, work we do, how does it affect, as, as, as the mother, how does it affect my relationship with my husband? How does it affect my relationship with the children? I mean, they're the questions to be asking uh, as we consider uh, work. It's getting harder and harder in life uh, because... Often, you know, you just need more money than one income in order to survive sometimes. Um, but it depends on what you mean by surviving. Um, there are many people who do not have uh, graduate degrees and somehow they survive, even in Singapore. Uh, I think we, myself included, we've got to make sure we don't keep comparing ourselves with our peers uh, and... Um, and to see that what's important is, is uh, children looking after them rather than uh, that we can get all the same nice things as, as our peers. Um, would it discourage people to get married? Well, I think if you take on marriage, you should take on children. Right? I think the two go hand in hand. Um, not all married people, of course, can have children, but they should expect and want to have children. And so, um, you know, you can put it off for a little while so you can, you know, do your work for a bit more, right, because of uh, birth control. Um, but I wouldn't put it off too long, right, because um, once you get over that 35, you know, then more complications happen uh, when you are uh, giving birth and conceiving. Um yeah, so yeah, think of think of uh, your role as um, as different from where our whole whole society is wanting to push you. Um, our modern society pushes us to think that you know, a woman who has been trained, especially tertiary education, but not doing her work, is a wasted brain, right? But she's not a wasted brain. She can use all her brain power and training in terms of looking after the children. Uh, university is great training for looking after children because in university you have to stay up all night and write the essays. Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, good, good training, good training. And you get to learn how to problem solve and a whole lot of things you can learn that actually applies to looking after, after kids. Um, good. 
how may we develop stronger relation? Um, getting to half past two, which is when we're meant to be finishing, is that right? I've got two more questions here, and then I'll try to do it very quickly. How may we develop strong relationships in church besides just sharing about God's word and praying with each other in Bible study groups, which is important, of course? Um, yes, those things are the key, but those things then create relationships uh, where you need to uh, relate. And sometimes creating relationships help you to relate better in Bible study groups. And so coming to conferences like this where you get to spend good time with each other and we do lots of things, isn't it? That's not about the Bible. We have silly games. Uh, <laughs> why do we play silly games? It's because why wants outlet to her. <laughs> yes, why does why play silly games? Um no, it's got to do with relationship, isn't it? Being able to relate, have fun with each other, and all that is just normal human interaction. I went, to one, I went through one phase in my life as a young, old, old teenager where I thought every conversation I had to have in church has to be about the Bible. I did that for a few months, and then nobody wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I wonder why, you know? You've got to be just normal and, you know, and talk about things and talk about the soccer, relationships. Just, and as you do that and as you build relationships, then you, you, know, you actually see um, groups as they know each other be able to share more about the Bible and things like that and about the more serious things. Um, how would you grow as a community when there are so many groups and individuals to look after? Uh, usually in churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I haven't done statistics. I hope that's not true in your church. Um, hopefully 100% of people would do 100% of the work. Right? Everybody plays their part. And so the way to not burn out when you see so many people to be looking after is to, one, see that you yourself have limits, right? and so you can only do what you can do, and you've got to try to encourage others uh, to be serving and caring for people and looking after people. Uh, be careful of having too high standards. Right? And so it's very easy. Once you've been doing whatever it is you're doing, you get better and better at it, and so you don't want anyone else to touch this service unless they can do it the same goodness that you can do it, be it Bible study leading or you know, playing piano or whatever. You've got to remember what you were like when you started doing it right? and actually let others come through. Um, so I think that's how you do it, and and work at crossing the groups and helping uh, to know people who are different uh, from you. How do we see unity outside the local church? Are you with our mission partners and such who might have a more skewed view of Christianity and not having Jesus as their focus? Depends on how much they're skewed and what you work together with them on. Um, if it's preaching the gospel. I don't think I can preach the gospel with a Roman Catholic church. I don't think I can preach the gospel with a one of those way-out prosperity gospel churches because I think the actual gospel they're trying to promote is actually different from, from my gospel. Um, but yeah, there are some other churches where you might be happy to work with um, to preach the gospel, uh, depending on where you are. And so uh, some of our friends went to uh, South America and either they work as missionaries with the um, 
uh, sort of charismatic type churches, or they work with the Muslims. Right? Well, that's one of the two choices. Oh, they're charismatics, they're still your brothers and sisters, and so you work with them. Right? Um, so it depends on where you are and uh, what, what is available. Uh, well, it's a very important thing to work out what things are gospel issues and what things are not gospel issues, and not to be too rigid on some things that are there's room for a bit of flexibility. And in those things, you've got to know a bit about your own personality. Right? If you're more a black and white kind of person, you've got to just be a bit, bit more careful that you don't draw the line too much. If you're more a person who's laissez-faire and doesn't care much, you've got to make sure, well, yeah, maybe I, I shouldn't work with them because, you know. So, yeah, that's something you need to work through. Last question. Since Ephesians 5 is about slaves and masters particularly, can we apply this direct to modern-day employment, which is somewhat different, or should we just derive the relevant applications from love thy neighbour as yourself, which naturally includes our bosses? Good to know that you count your boss as your neighbour. Um, that was my bit at the end. Uh, I think you can apply Ephesians 6 as a secondary application to uh, employment, knowing that this difference, you can always fire your boss. right? You can always get out. Uh, you could, whereas the slaves in the first century did not have that privilege of, oh, I don't like it anymore, I'm getting out of here. Right? They were actually in bonded service, they, they couldn't get out. Um, whereas in our modern society, I guess, you, know, you can always um, you know, say, well, I don't like this, so I'm going to quit. Right? So there is that difference, um, and there is that freedom you have, and you can negotiate, right? You're not a slave that cannot cannot negotiate. And uh, but other than that, you know, if you're happy happy to live in that system uh, of working for them, then you need to be uh, submissive uh, to them in the Lord. That's it. Any other last final questions? No. How about I? I'll, I'll lead in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving us minds that can ask questions, and we ask, Father, that we might be those who uh, keep thinking uh, through your word, uh, with your word open. Uh, we have touched on things, uh, even in this hour, which are very um, uh, messy and which may not just be theoretical, uh, we pray, Father, that you give us great wisdom, wisdom from above, wisdom that uh, promotes uh, peace and godliness and righteousness. Uh, help us to think your thoughts after you as we seek to live life uh, for you. We thank you especially for those questions that uh, encourage us uh, to be thinking about how we should live uh, as your people uh, in our church. And we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, not only to be um, looking for answers in your word, uh, not only to be challenged uh, by your word, but where we feel the challenge and the truth of your word, we ask that we may indeed uh, put it into action, that we may uh, do something about it. And we pray that your spirit will help us to uh, make changes that we might grow and that we might help others to grow. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.